My message today is entitled, Points of Prayer. There are different points that we are drawn to and give an instruction on how to pray. Sometimes a discouraging thing is someone just says, you just need to pray more. Well, how do I do that? And so God gives us instruction in His Word to uh, draw to our minds and so that we know how to uh, effectively um, and passionately reach uh, the throne of God. And so I want to begin in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Not just any prayer avails much, but the effective and fervent, which means passionate, prayer of a righteous one avails much. Our righteousness now comes from God, not because of anything that we have done, but our righteousness comes from God, and the fervor or the passion is what we bring to the equation. The only thing left, therefore, is the effectiveness. If you want to pray effectively, there's only one place to go. You're not going to find it in a book of how to pray. You're not going to find it in a ministry guide or from some famous preacher or author. You need to go directly to Jesus and ask Him to teach you how to pray. In fact, that's exactly what the disciples did after they watched Him pray. They want to know how to do it. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass, as He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples, you teach us. Anyone can talk to God. But when you ask him to teach you how to pray, he is faithful and gives you exactly what you need to grow closer to him. What follows in this, on these verses is, what has become known as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Yet Jesus gives us more than just a popular prayer to memorize. He gives us a method citing different points of effective prayer that draw us close to God's heart. Each point is full of power. And while there is much to say about each aspect of this method of prayer, I'd like to draw your attention to two specific parts of this prayer that are often overlooked. One at the very beginning and one near the end. Luke 11, verse 2. So Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, maybe you didn't catch it. But Jesus says, when you pray, say. He doesn't say, when you pray, think. Showing us how important it is to pray out loud. Certainly, you can meditate on His Word and think on His faithfulness. But when you really want to reach the throne of His presence, there's just something powerful about praying out loud. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying quietly in your mind. And there's certainly a time for that. However, the greatest temptation for distractions happens when you pray in your mind and you're bombarded and distracted with all these things you can think about because you're thinking about prayer. 
It's too easy to have another thought come to mind while you're praying silently. We are under constant bombardment from the enemy who sends fiery doubts at us, fiery darts at us. Darts that, uh, to get us to doubt and to get us to fear and to get us to step into confusion every chance he gets. Now the enemy cannot read your mind. He does not know what's in your, what's in your mind. However, depending on how you react to that dart, he knows if that dart went in. He does not know what's in your mind. God does. He's forever throwing darts to see if something sticks, to see if there's a reaction to something that he has done. His goal is to take control of your mind through fear so that you don't connect with God. But if you pray out loud, you can speak over any distracting thoughts. And if you get tempted to doubt or to be confused, you can just keep speaking His Word. Just find Scripture, quote Scripture. That's why we have a memory verse. Quote Scripture or read Scripture. Just do that if you're doubting what your words are saying. Just quote Scripture. That's what Jesus did to Satan in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 28, verse 7. One of my favorite Bible verses. It's our memory verse for today. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and will flee before you in seven ways. You see, the way that the enemy is defeated before your face is when you speak the Word of God. When you speak it. Yes, there's a time that we need to read and meditate on it and learn and hear from God, but then also we need to speak it as well. He's defeated before our face when we speak the Word of God out loud. Lord, You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Your presence, there is a fullness of joy. And in Your name, there is power. And in Your Word, there is life. We speak the Word of God. And what it also does, it does something to our spirit when we hear ourselves speaking the Word of God. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we see this fact. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. This means that when you hear yourself speaking, when your spirit hears yourself speaking, it translates into faith. In the same way that a soldier cannot advance into battle unless he has his weapon loaded and ready, you cannot advance into prayer until you have built up your faith. But many times we go into prayer without the faith and we aren't always believing what we're saying. God knows that. That's why He teaches us how to pray. If you don't believe what you're saying, you will hold back. You will not ask for what you need. You'll only ask for what you think you could acquire on your own. Yet faith connects you to God's heart and causes you to ask for what only God can give. It causes you to ask for the impossible and to believe that God wants to bless you. Only if we put our trust in Him can we ask for the impossible and ask for what we need? 
The reason why many prayers fall short of the throne of God is because too many people rush into prayer without instead of first priming the pump. What do I mean by that? You can see on our bulletin there's a picture of a pump in the middle of the wilderness. So I want to tell you a little story. Maybe you've heard it before. There was once a traveler who hiked for many miles across the desert. His water supply was gone. And he knew that if he didn't find water soon, he would surely die. Zapped of all energy and strength, he stumbled and he staggered until by his good fortune, he came upon an old well with a pump coming out of it. He began to pump furiously with all his might, but to no avail. Nothing came out. No water came out as it he dropped to the ground in pure exhaustion. And as he laid there, he looked behind the pump and he noticed a tin can with a note inside. The note said, Dear stranger, this water pump is in working condition, but the pump needs to be primed in order for the water to come out. Under the white rock, I buried a jar of water out of the sun. There's enough water in the jar to prime the pump, but not any if you drink it first. When the pump has been primed, please fill the jar and put it back as you found it for the next stranger that comes this way. Then you may pump all the water you need. This well will not run dry as long as you prime the pump precisely as indicated by these instructions. This modern day parable has been used to represent many things. But I believe it most fittingly represents the type of prayer that Jesus teaches us to use. You see, too many people stumble to God and are in desperate need of His living water. But rather than seeking Him in the way that He instructs us to, they pump furiously with no results and then walk away even thirstier than ever. What I mean is that they jump too quickly into the asking. Jumping too quickly into the begging and the pleading. Furiously pumping for answers from God, but not receiving any assurances or blessings. Yet Jesus instructs us to read His note to us. The very instructions we need are in His Word. We must prime the pump first. We must begin by hallowing His name, which means to praise His name. That's first and foremost. When we come into the presence of a King, when we come in the presence of our God, we praise His name. That's how we prime the pump. At first, you might not feel the faith. You might not even believe the words you are praying, but if you are faithful to keep priming the pump, eventually your spirit will catch hold of the power in His Word. Eventually, your heart will be energized to receive the fullness of the promise of God. Your faith will be refreshed as living water begins to flow from God Himself into your very soul. Once the faith pump is primed, you will ask boldly. You will seek His answers. And you will look to God for whatever, and by, and by whatever way He sees fit. You will 
commune with God in a, in a most powerful way. Let's go back to the prayer. Luke 11, verse 3. Give us day by day our daily bread. You see, once the faith is flowing, you will, you will ask for your daily bread. Because you believe who you are seeking. And so you will ask for your daily bread and you expect it to be delivered to you fresh each day. Because God is faithful. Luke 11.4 And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, we continue our prayer by asking to forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Or, I'm sorry, forgive everyone who, who we have an offense with. Who, who, there's something between us. We ask that God to forgive us and also to forgive all who have hurt us. And then near the close of this prayer, we see this section where we ask God to not lead us into temptation. The fact of the matter is, is that temptation is a part of life for every believer on earth. If you make it a part of your prayer to ask God not to lead you into temptation, then you will have a better chance of defeating temptation when you see it or feel it. Now some people say, why do we have to ask for certain things of God if God already knows what we need? As the Bible declares. Why do we have to ask God, don't lead me to temptation? Certainly we all need that. Well, one of the reasons is to keep us focused on the answer. To keep us zeroed in on what specifically we should expect from God. If I ask God for something, I'm going to look to receive it. That's how I know it's coming. But if I don't ask Him for it, I'm not going to be looking to where God might be wanting to bless me. So we ask God to not lead us into temptation. And by doing so, hopefully we'll go somewhere to go look for it. We'll go to God to receive that strength against temptation. What good is it to ask God for something but then work against His moves to do counter to what we've asked for? We need to be working with God, not against God. See, when we feel tempted to sin, we must run the other way. Because that is where we will find God. For God does not tempt anyone. In fact, James 1.13 tells us this truth. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. Therefore, as soon as we sense temptation, we have to learn to flee and run in the opposite direction. Now God gives us several tools to defeat temptation if we just make a careful study of His Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Another great verse to memorize or to work on or to read daily if you're going through a trial. It says, No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, He will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You see, God allows temptation because His, it's His greatest way to bring truth to us is by creating contrast. Something that stands out from the environment. 
In a true survival situation, when someone is lost in the woods, the greatest way to secure rescue is to create a contrast where you stand out from the background. Hopefully more easier to be seen and found. God creates contrast. Light in the darkness. Good over evil. Truth in the face of temptation. With every temptation, God always gives a way out if we are diligent to be focusing upon Him. But we must must be willing to look up. Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help comes from the Lord. Therefore, we must lift our eyes away from our troubles, away from our fallen state, and especially away from our own logic, which means our reasoning for how to get ourselves out of the situation. God says you're already in deep and you don't even know it. Look up. Look up. My help comes from the Lord. We need God's strength. We need the authority of His Word and the blood of Jesus to break the temptations that come against us. It is God who comes to our rescue who stands in the gap for us if we put our complete trust in Him. Isaiah 59, verse 19. When the enemy comes in like a flood, as he often does, when you're tired, when you're weak, when you're stressed, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the truth is that the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The problem is that many times we don't see the Lord's standard because we turn to look at the flood instead of turning to the Lord. You don't wait for a bus by turning your back to the street and gazing at the brick building behind you. You face the street. And you wait for your ride to come. In the same way, you don't escape temptation by turning your back to God and continue to gaze at sin and to consider the desires of your flesh and refuse to flee. Listen, God indeed provides a way out, but we must actively look for the exit and then run to it. There are many people who know just enough Scripture to be dangerous to themselves and others. Because they take the Word of God out of context and they don't apply the complete truth of a particular teaching. For example, for example, many will say this when they're being tempted. It's in James chapter 4, verse 7. They will say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. But not if we pull it out of context. This only It's only part of the verse to resist the devil and he will flee from you. The problem is that this causes people to think that they can just resist the devil on their own. That they can just use their own willpower to stay away from the temptations. That they just have to say no and just stay strong and the devil will flee. But if we look at the whole verse, we see there's something before it in context. James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. You see, if you don't submit to God first, 
you won't have a chance against the deceptive strategies of the devil. When people believe they could just resist temptation, they play around the pit of sin. And eventually they fall in. Or they may grow tired of resisting and just dive in themselves. However, when we submit to God, we don't go anywhere near that pit of sin. We'd stay completely away from the vicinity of sin. And when it attacks us suddenly, we learn to flee as quick as possible before our flesh starts to convince us to linger around a little bit longer in that area. Submitting to God is our way of trusting Him more than our troubles. Why is it that we can trust Jesus? Is it because He is the King of kings? That He is always faithful? That His Word is always true? Sure. But I believe one of the greatest reasons that we can trust Him when we are undergoing, going through temptation is that He came to the earth in the likeness of man. He subjected His perfect form into an imperfect body so that He could lead by example. In fact, the following verse should be a foundational in establishing our trust with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 tells us, speaking of Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But He, Jesus, was in all points tempted as we are, but He was without sin. Jesus was tempted with the same temptations that we are up against daily. Temptations of lust. Temptations of food. Temptations of rage. Temptations of power. Temptations to doubt to fear, to give up. Yet Jesus never gave in to a single temptation because He was fully submitted to God, the Father, and His will. In one poignant moment, Jesus gave us the key to defeating temptation and causing the enemy to stagger backwards in defeat. Because the truth of the matter is that one of the greatest temptations we all face is the temptation to give up. To stop living for God. To walk away. To go into the world where there is no resistance. To live as our flesh compels us to. After all, everyone else is doing it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was about to be arrested and falsely accused and brutally tortured and crucified, He was tempted in every way to fight back. To resist this call on His life to find some other way to avoid this terrible tribulation. Satan thought he had Jesus cornered. He thought he would win either way. Either Jesus would be killed and His kingdom would be stopped, or Jesus would give in to temptation and fight back, refusing to be the living sacrifice for the world. Because remember, Jesus laid down His life. It wasn't taken from Him. Satan thought he won. Yet Jesus had an ace up His sleeve. Matthew 26:39. We know this verse. Jesus went a little further and fell on His face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, 
not as I will, but as you will. Jesus voiced His concern, but He voiced His concern to God alone. He brought the temptation into the light by speaking it out loud to God. He didn't just stay there with the thoughts of His flesh trying to speak that to Him. He didn't tell someone near Him. He spoke it to God. And then He turned His ship directly into the storm. And He said, nevertheless, Your will be done. He knew that God the Father would fight for Him. That God would give Him strength step by step and breath by breath. We too must voice our concerns to God and to God alone. We must bring what is forged in the darkness like fear and doubt and confusion and despair. We must bring that in the darkness and out into the light knowing that God will answer for us. And God will fight for us. And God will bring a Scripture that you've planted in your heart and at that such moment, He'll bring it to your mind for you to stand on it if you've taken the time to put His Word in your heart. He will strengthen us and He will sustain us and He will pull us through. When we are faced with the temptations to give in to sin and to give up on God, we too must turn our ship into the storm and resolutely declare, nevertheless, Your will be done. Yes, my flesh wants to release. And yes, my flesh deserves this. Or, or yes, I, it's too much for me, God. But nevertheless, I'm going to turn my ship into the storm and I've been asking for Your will to be done. That's what your spirit is crying out at the moment that your flesh is being tempted. To turn your ship into the storm and to stand on the truth of God's Word. This temptation is strong. I can't handle it. It's overwhelming. My flesh wants to give up. I just want a little relief. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but Your will be done, O God, my Father. We come to understand that all trials that God allows in our lives serve a purpose. There are reasons for the difficult seasons we face in life. We hardly ever understand them at the moment. But there are reasons why God allows us to go through trials. 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. If you are going through a trial right now, God has allowed it to happen, but understand, he's not, He didn't put you in a trial. God is allowing you to go through the trial if you keep your eyes on Him and continue to stand on His Word. Even though your flesh might not feel it, God is pulling you through for a little while. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So many times when we are going through a difficult time in our life, we think it's not ever going to end. But compared to eternity, let's change our perspective. Think of one drop of water. That's our current trial. 
then think of all the water in the oceans. It's still less than eternity, but all the, that, that's where we're heading for with Christ. So when we feel like it's never going to end, we're just going through a drop. We're going through a drop of water. And all we need to do is to be reminded of a one drop of blood that saved us and allowed us to stand with God, to be forgiven, to be redeemed for His purpose. Nevertheless, God, Your will be done in my life. I'm going to choose to trust You. You see, when we submit to God and refuse to give ground to the enemy, we are tested and tried in the fire like gold is, that we may be found to praise His name. And then when gold is put into a fire, all the impurities rise to the top. And we are tried through certain times, the impurities come out, our weaknesses. But if we trust God, God wants to bring us to a place of refining where we are shown to praise His name. Listen, there's nothing that hurts the devil more than us rising up in our weakness, in our trial, to praise God. Not whether or not you feel like it. Your flesh is never going to make you feel like it. But when you do it, we get strength from God Himself. Satan thinks he has you beat many times when you're in a trial and cornered. But those nevertheless moments, those faith-filled declarations when we turn our ship into the storm, those wreak havoc on the enemy and they bind us even closer to God. This is the point of prayer. To drive the enemy far away and to drive us deep into the heart of God where there's no greater place to be. The Bible says that God knows what you need even before you ask Him. I don't know what any of you are going through. I know we all have things that we are carrying, that we are asking for God and waiting on God. All of us have things for us, for our family. But just for this moment, as we enter this song of reflection, I'm going to ask us right now that we just focus on God. We just press into God and in His will and prime our faith pumps by praising Him and hallowing His name so that we can go to God in full faith and power and believe Him at His Word. Heavenly Father, I thank You to bless us, to quicken this Word to our hearts. And so God, right now, we just choose to praise You as we reflect on the truth of Your Word in Jesus' name. Amen.